this time of year, you know, we got Christmas in a couple of weeks and um, that at least that's what we celebrate in a couple of weeks. Sometimes I like to, when I look back at the story of Jesus, the Word becoming flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, John 1. But then the Word becomes flesh. Like God Himself is manifested in the flesh, something nobody really saw coming. And, um, but the, the events that surround it, this might be kind of a little bit of a buffet today. We'll have a few different courses to this meal. Um, everybody can take something away, hopefully, because the events surrounded are so profoundly mystical. And, I, and I also I feel and sense sometimes, even in worship today, that the Lord would that our minds be completely free from the carnal cap of even the limitations that we set on ourselves in, the, in, this, in, this, in this world. And that um, I feel like it's His, his pleasure to unlock the minds of mankind for our minds to be free and to be liberated from its constraints and see the scope, the height, the width, the depth of this calling, of this purpose, of, of, of even the reality of his domain. And I look back, I don't always, you know, you know, you guys know my, John the Baptist is like my guy, you know, but so I'm not going to do this about him today. But when I think about even John the Baptist, like before Jesus was born or even before Gabriel really came to to uh, Mary and told her like hey this is gonna happen Gabriel showed up to John the Baptist's dad Zacharias right in um, Luke chapter 1 and and you know Zacharias was he was one of the priests the lots fell to him he was basically on duty in Luke 1 and um, people were praying outside, but he's inside of the, of the temple, as it were, and an angel actually shows up while he's there and really freaks him out. He was, he was expecting to be the only person there, and then there's somebody else in there. It happens to be a fellow named Gabriel. And, you know, it says, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him, but, but the angel spoke to him and says, don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth's going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. And it's this beautiful prophecy that's going to come about about this one who would be the fulfillment of, the, of this prophecy in Isaiah, this, this baby named John that was going to be the one who's, who was the voice that was proclaiming in the wilderness, make way for the Lord and, and setting the stage for Jesus' arrival. You know, God in the flesh, the embodiment of Yahweh, the Messiah, the the son of David, all these things. And, um, but Zacharias and his wife, they were old. They were older, and she was barren. I don't know who was the real culprit of why she couldn't have kids, him or her, but regardless, they couldn't have kids. And so it was a sad thing, but he had always asked the Lord to have kids. And, and now this angel showing up and telling him, you're going to have one, and he's going to be incredibly special. And he gives them these, he gives them this, um, it's almost like the Nazarite vow. It, 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 it may have been that, just about him never having, you know, drinking alcohol and these other things. And so he tells them this stuff, but, but Zacharias goes from being like really scared at first to listening to him and, um, and having this prophecy about how the son he was going to have was going to be great. You know, no strong drink. He's going to be filled from, with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, which is a brilliant thing. 
something no one had ever heard of. And he was going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. He was going to go before the Messiah, God, in the, God embodied as it would be in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers of the sons of the sons of the fathers. This, this old prophecy that was going to happen. And Zechariah's response in verse 18 of Luke 1 was like, well, how, how, like, how can I know this is real? Like, I'm an old man. My wife's, my wife's advanced in many years. Like this, he goes like, it's like, dude, you're seeing somebody from heaven in, in the temple and he's telling you information. But what comes out of him is actually, it's unbelief. It's a negative manifestation of his heart. It's like, how could this happen? It's like, well, how could it happen that I'm standing before you, you know? But, um, but I love Gabriel's response and I always have. How could this happen? We're old. Gabriel says in verse 19 of Luke 1, I'm Gabriel. Like that's how it will happen, you know? <laughs> how, how, because I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was actually sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you're going to be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. So John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist's dad, Zacharias comes out of the, out of the temple, and guess what? Gabriel's first, uh, uh, second prophecy was true. Yeah, you're not going to be able to talk. His mouth was shut. And he comes out, and he's got, you know, the, and they knew he had seen a vision, something had happened, because like, he's traumatized, obviously something's going on. But I, it, it was actually, I came here this morning because I was, I ran up here to, to turn the heat on because it was so incredibly, um, yeah, it was cold. It was, golly, it was like 32. Wasn't it like 80 this week, like a few days ago? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like 32 degrees. And um, God's calling you, boy. You know? <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, so I, but it really wasn't the message. And you got, you know, I have, a, I have a little bit of a problem, you know, to be honest, of going into John the Baptist's life because I'm just so into it. You know what I mean? But I thought about that, that, that scenario. And I've always just thought like, Golly, like an angel can be kind of savage. He's, he's, not, he's not a Christian, you know what I mean? He doesn't let no unwholesome word proceed from his mouth, you know, only that which edify, edifies and builds. He's like, because I'm Gabriel, and now you're going to be mute for nine months. You know what I mean? He's like, yikes, you know what I mean? And, uh, but at, at the same time, I, I, I was thinking of that story while I was in here, you know, kind of cleaning up, taking some trash out and things, and, and I thought he manifested this negativity and this unbelief and the package that was, that was going to be in Elizabeth's stomach. The greatest prophet, Jesus said, of all time, ever born of a woman. And it was more that, like, this type of language will not be spoken around him. I don't want him raised with that tongue. You know what I mean? And I just was thinking about that, like, wow, like, in the womb, it was like he was the messenger of God. And it was like, hey, he's not even going to be raised in the atmosphere of unbelief and doubt and criticism and any of those things. It's like, so, so these nine months, you're just going to be quiet. And that lesson's going to set, set in itself. And um, it's, it was, it's kind of beautiful. Because when Noble was born, she knew my voice instantly. She was freaking out in the hospital and they were trying to take her measurements and I walked over and said, hey, hey, it's okay. And she instantly, it's one of the greatest, it's probably the greatest memory of my whole life. She instantly stopped crying and was like looking around for me because I couldn't see, obviously. 
you know, but all the nurses like, she knows his voice, she knows your voice, because I'm always on the microphone. So I think it's even more, you know, me and Nicole talk a lot to each other. That's where we're pretty well connected. And so also I'm on the microphone a lot. So I think she, she had a good dose. But anyhow, it's like the words that we speak around that which is birthed of the Lord, it's, it's so incredibly important. You know what I mean? And I did, I thought, I thought that this morning. I was like, man, I don't want to do that message. I, you know, I love, love old Dreadlock John, but I'm like, you know, it's like, man, there was something so pure about just the, the 400 years of silence being broken. That's what it was between the Old and New Testament. No one's heard from God, or at least that we know of. And, and it's called the 400 years of silence, but it was broken by Gabriel showing up and then, and then putting silence on a guy. You know what I mean? Because the Bible does speak about like the, the death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And like, you know, we, you know Jesus, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, he says in, in Matthew 12. So there's all these different things, but it's so important, our words. But it's not just important because don't let dark stuff out. We are incredibly powerful as those who are carriers of the king within us to speak the words of life and light into, into reality in this world, you know. And so anyhow, so there's, you know, Happy Hanukkah. That's, it's over, but, you know, Merry Christmas is coming, kind of. It's not really, but uh, it is, uh, uh, you know, so, so there's that, John the Baptist. So that's the first person to get, a, to get a glimpse of like, hey, this is coming down the pipe, you know. Then I think I want to say by reading it, it seemed like John was about six months older than Jesus, right? Um, but when, when Mary, then Gabriel goes to Mary's house, apparently, at some point. And talks to Joseph too, you know, like you're gonna have the baby, you know, baby Jesus, you know, you're you're of child of the Holy Spirit, you know. And then she goes to her cousin's house, who happens to be John's mom, and John's still in the womb, and John's jumping around because he he's alive on the inside, you know. So we're pro-life, right? You know what I mean? There's babies that are alive that are community. You know what I mean? Like this thing is there. He's in there, you know. And it's so it's so beautiful. But you know, that's you know, Luke chapter one, and then. Uh, Luke chapter 2, you have, if, if, you, if you just think about the story of Jesus coming, no one really knows that it's coming or happening except for a few people. One is obviously, you know, Zacharias and uh, his wife and, and whoever they were communicating after John was born, and obviously because of her cousin Mary. But, but the night Jesus was born, what, the angels come and actually declare it to the, the shepherds in the field, watching their flocks overnight. Which is so funny to me, because John, you know, Luke two is like he actually comes and he speaks to the shepherds overnight, and then they're, you know, obviously the angel comes. I don't know that it's Gabriel this time, but the glory of the Lord shines around them. Then the choir of angels is all singing about these good tidings, and of course the angels have to do what angels have to do, like hey, don't be afraid, you know, I, I'm bringing you glad tidings of great joy, uh, you know, such a beautiful. A beautiful, for, for, for this day is born to you in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it's just like, wait, what? You know what I mean? This will be a sign. Another thing, it's like, hey, I, I bring tidings of great joy that will be for all people. And uh, then you said, well, now all the elect people, right? You know, not, not everybody. You know, it's like, no, but... I guess the angel didn't think that way. He said, for all people. And so then, so these guys, so the, the shepherds are like, we got to go check this out. These are night shift shepherds. 
I think we're, we're born and raised in this kind of culture, and we, we think of shepherds as kind of an ancient thing, and, um, but we, we kind of religiousize it, so it's also a, a kind of an honorable thing. But it's, it's really not. You know, this is like blue-collar work, um, and, and it's the night shift shepherds. Probably not even their sheep, you know, most likely. They're, they're watching them for some rich guys or something, you know what I mean, that own them. And these guys have the worst shift, <laughs> you know what I mean? And God wants to come tell, hey, guys, listen, look what I've done to them. And they're not even what we would think is special or elite or, you know, they're just like, hey, buddy, look what's going on. You want to go have a peek at them? They don't do anything. The shepherds literally go and like peek into the manger and like see them laying in a trough. You know, Jesus in swatting clothes lying in something where animals would eat out of, which is just so incredible, the humility of God, how hidden Jesus was. And the, the people that got the peek at them were the shepherds. And, you know, we have the little, and this is brilliant. And we have the, we have the little manger scenes. And if you ever think of those things, and they got all the couple little shepherds around them looking real distinguished. You know, these are probably younger guys that were, you know. Uh, you know and, then, and then you've got the, the, king, the three kings or the wise men standing there, and they're a little bit more dressed, a little, a little fancy. You know what I mean? But, but um, so, yeah, you have the shepherds. It's like, yeah, but you got like a pack of shepherds and some like some wizards are the first ones to know about them. You know what I mean? A bunch of wizards show up about a year later. No one really knows what's going on. Some shepherds have seen it. Mary's keeping stuff in there, close to the chest. Um, you flip over to the story. If you look in like Matthew chapter 2, um, after, Je after Jesus was born, um, these wise men, and I, they've kind of like made that a little bit gent a little kosher, but it's, it's magi or magi, you know, however you want to say that. I'm not Greek, so I just say it like a, a regular person around here. But, you know, it's like, it's the word we get magic from, you know. And it's like, man, you got some blue-collar workers that are in the field overnight, you know. Now you've got some magicians, some wizards. I'm just calling them wizards for us today because it just fits. But it, but it works. It works. Astrologers. Whatever you want. Sorcerers. All those terms fit. They're like, you know, Chaldeans or, you know what I mean? It's like, they're like Babylonian, Persian people. It's like, yeah, well, they had been reading their Bibles and doing a really good job of studying it. And he's like, well, you know, the, actually, they were, they, were, they were following a star around. And they literally show up in, in Matthew 2, which is so funny. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, um, in the days of Herod the king, wise men, magicians, or in our sense, wizards, uh, from the east come to Jerusalem. And they're speaking. They're like, hey, where's the guy who was born? Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? We've seen his star rising in the east what and we've come to worship him it's just like you've seen his star like it's like i'm not i'm not up here to, to read horoscopes okay i think that stuff is ridiculous but what i'm saying is like these people are are, are looking at the astral astronomy astrology stars and they're the ones that god has well we have now in our manger scene but it's really about a year later showing up to actually give the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, the gifts of a king to the one who would be the king of the Jews. And it's like, I think, you know, this is where we know, maybe I'll excuse myself because, you know, from doing a Christmas message from here on out, because there's this term that's called astral prophecy, right? And it's, it's been studied for a long time. Uh, I'm talking about Jewish astrology and the Talmud, 
um, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, in Palestinian art, Palestinian synagogues, all kinds of different things. Um, the Zodiac in, in ancient art, which I know, yeah, I told you it was going to get kind of strange today. But we have this thing called astral prophecy, like in, Gen in Genesis 1.14, there's something God said when he made the stars of the sky. He said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years, you know. And then in, in, in Psalm 19, it says, let the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The day pours out speech and the night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, the stars of the sky reveal the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. And so these guys are showing up, some stargazing astrologer wizards, you know, some witchcraft people, what we would consider, and, and they're like, hey, where's the one born the king of the Jews? And it's like, got Herod and everybody else, like, what'd you just say? To the, to the point where Herod, like, he brings in the, the religious scholars and he's like, hey, what are these guys talking about? And everyone's like, we don't really know, but like, where is he supposed to be born? And he's supposed to be born in, in the city of David called Bethlehem. It's like, okay. So Herod like actually sends the, doesn't send, but he kind of gives the blessing for them to go. Like, hey, they said that he's in Bethlehem. Why don't you guys go look for him and let me know when you find him because I'm going to come worship him too, you know, fully intending to kill him because he wanted to be the king of the Jews. But these guys are, you know, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It's interesting in um, Romans 10, when, when, when Paul is actually, the Apostle Paul is talking about like, how can they hear if no one preaches, uh, but have they, all, have they not all heard? And, and he actually quotes Psalm 19, like everybody in the world has heard because it's written in the stars. You know, it's so, it's, I know it's, it's weird to some of you folks who are like, what are you talking about? But um, Psalm 119 verse four, their line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. He has, he has set them to be a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So you have this, what we now know as astral prophecy, you know what I'm saying? That, that they actually looked at what some people call the zodiac signs in the sky or you know the astrological groupings of stars and the bible talks about their line goes throughout the earth and it's literally talking about the the ecliptic line of the stars that follows throughout the heavens and saying that it tells a story you know yeah pretty strange i love it this is this is what kind of you know in, in revelation 12 this is one of those one of those deals that you can look at as far as the birth of Jesus. Revelation 12 is actually about Jesus. And, and it's the prophecy where it says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a, wo a woman clothed with the sun, the moon was under her feet, over her head was a garland of 12 stars. Uh, being with child, she cried out in labor to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars. That's what some people, you know, they call that the gap theory, the, the war in heaven that happened between Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 and Hebrews 1.2. So it could have happened before. It could have happened after, depending on, on your beliefs there. It could kind of go either way. Uh, the dragon stood before the woman, was ready to give birth, to devour her child. And, and you have this, this, this 
what seems like this technicolor vision or prophecy of something that had actually happened concerning the woman, not necessarily Mary, but the, the nation of Israel birthing the Messiah and the enemy trying to come and snuff it out. But I love the, um, there are several people that'll do this and you can find it all over the place um, concerning astral prophecy, but also in Revelation 12. This is actually talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus, but also using the stars that were overhead in the sky to actually tell where the time and the place of the birth was. You know, just like these wizards, magi, magicians, or if we want to be kosher and say wise men, were actually reading the stars trying to look for them. This, this prophecy that John wrote in, in Revelation 12 is literally talking about this actual sky view of timetable of events when Jesus was born, right? Because one of the, you know, clusters of stars known as Virgo or, or the Virgin is actually clothed with the sun. In other words, the sun is actually on the inside of that, um, it's not a constellation. It's on the inside of the, the constellation around, around the belt of Virgo for about a 20-day period. And um, that's when Virgo is clothed with the sun. Um, but also, it says the moon was under her feet there in Revelation 12. It's like there's, there's only about an 80-minute period where Virgo is clothed with the sun and also there's the moon under the feet of that constellation. So it's like an 80-minute period in history over several years in, in the period of when Jesus was born. Because most theologians will believe Jesus was born between, I think it's like 6 B.C. down to 2 B.C. They've got it narrowed down to about a four-year period. And people believe when it was just according to some of these things. But according to Revelations 12 and what it's saying there, there's like an 80-minute period. Uh, period of time where you know Scorpio and Libra were called the great dragon back in those days those two constellations and all within an 80 minute period um, all the signs of of Revelation 12 are actually frozen up there in the sky and so here's John actually giving a prophecy and giving the actual birth date of the Lord Jesus in our Bible you know that it's, it's a lot more common knowledge now than it was probably like 30 40 years ago but it it pulls the time down to 3 BC of, excuse me, September 11th of 3 BC. So technically, we might need to start having our Christmas service a couple, a couple months back. No, no, no. I like, I like the time that we do it. It's fine. But uh, technically, Jesus' birth was on September 11th by the American calendar in 3 BC, you know, at least by the Bible anyways. It's kind of interesting, which was actually Rosh Hashanah, Tishri, the day of trumpet, the day of trumpets. The Jewish New Year. It was the day that the ancient kings of Judah were actually recognized and inaugurated into office. So there was so much prophetic symbolism of Jesus being born on that time as the king of the world, you know, that that was actually sitting there for us to see of, of, of who he is and, and what he was doing. And there's so much more even in that chapter, you know, the dragon comes and he breathes out a bunch of water to try to cause a flood. But it's also the, it's, it's, it's the Ark of the Covenants in, in Revelation 11. It's like Jesus is the true Ark of the Covenant, and he's the true Ark for the people. And it's just this massive reversal of God being manifested on the earth to destroy the works of the devil. You know? So that was interesting. But anyway, so back to the, what, what were we talking about? The wizards, the magi. So, the, so these magicians show up, and they're the only ones that actually knows what's going on. They're, they're the only ones that actually know what to look at. They're actually looking for the stars. They're about a year later from that 3 BC period. Um, but actually what's going on with them is, is when they see it, I guess it's like one year later, 
that what's called the king star, which is really Jupiter, Jupiter and Regulus were in what's called retrograde, if you see all the memes joking about that these days, retrograde stuff, and, and people like to do that for their astrology games or whatever. But anyway, so it's a super bright star that would actually have be in retrograde, which means it would kind of stop and it would go into reverse. And um, it puts it like right about a year after September 11th of 3 BC. And that's when these, these guys from Chaldean, you know, Babylonian bat Persian backgrounds are actually showing up. They're like, where's the king of the Jews? And it's just like, hey, the king of the Jews, that's not even your, that's not even your religion. Like, how are you more hip to this stuff than we are? And they're finding the star, you know. And, um, you know, so obviously you, you kind of know the story. They actually end up finding the Lord Jesus. They, they walk up and, and I can't imagine what that would be like. They find the one under the star, they come and he's probably a year old, which most kids start walking around that time or maybe a little earlier. So you got baby Messiah, you know, God in the flesh, you know, walking out. And these kings are just like, whoa, you know, and they probably got an entourage, these wizards, you know what I'm saying? They're very wealthy and they bring in the gold, frankincense and myrrh and all these things. And there's all kinds of symbolism there as far as the burial and the kingship and all these things, whatever. But, you know, they come and they give these gifts um, and then, then they're warned by the Lord in a dream. Hey, don't go back to Herod. That thing about him coming to worship wasn't very genuine. He's going to kill this kid. So you guys need to go back to the land of the east in a different direction. So they did. Right after that, obviously, an angel shows up in a dream talking to Joseph, which the amount of times that angels come to Joseph in a dream, it's, it's, it's great. But And says, hey, it's time for you guys to move, Right? Time to move the, the package of heaven that you're carrying. Time to move him. Let's, you guys need to spend some time in Egypt for a while. Egypt, you know what I mean? And so imagine that. So they're, so they're out of the way. And so anyways, God has his hand protecting this package the entire time. Just like God had young John the Baptist in his, the package, even from his mother's womb was protected. It's like the words of unbelief, that negative speech, that won't even be around him to go through the skin and through the water sack of Elizabeth's belly. You know what I'm saying? God is like protecting that pure package of heaven on both, on both, on both of these guys and preparing something that is so wonderful that's gonna impact the entire world for all time even the world before they existed, which he existed before the world. And, um, you know, so it's this, this, this beautiful picture, but I guess I was thinking of like, of like the history of like, why did these, these wizard guys, these magician astrologers, like we would think of them as like, we'd, we'd probably look down to the shepherds, a lot of people would, but then a year later for them to be the guys that find Jesus, it's just like, why were they qualified of all, of all people? People that are doing stuff that we think is really sketchy. And this is not, um, I don't support at all astrology and all those things. This is zero. I think, you know, not at all. That sounds like Super Mario Brothers going off in here. I heard it. One of you. If it happens again, I'm going to find you and see who, who it is. But, um, you know, so I'm like, how of all the people and how they had this knowledge, it's like, are there people, is there a level of understanding the things of heaven and the things of the kingdom that we can actually have, that we're walking on a whole nother level of unlocking the purposes of God and recognize what God's birthing in the world. 
And um, you know, it, it's true that a lot of the history of these, these magicians, the Magi, it was the name given by the Babylonians, or Chal Chaldeans, uh, the Medes, the Persians, and others, to the wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, soothsayers, and sorcerers. The Passion Translation calls them spiritual priests. Um, but one thing most people will agree on, it's quite possible when you trace their history of the Magi, the Magi from Babylon and Persia and Mesopotamia, that all these magicians or wizards, as I like to call them today, um, were descendants of those who had been taught by an Israeli prophet, a Jewish prophet in Babylon, a fellow named Daniel. And um, it was interesting because he, he had these prophecies of the Messiah. And he had these prophecies of the Messiah even being cut off, you know, the murder of the Messiah and all these different things. Um, but he had so much clout in Babylon. And the way he got it, I think, is what I wanted to close with-ish kind of today. Um, uh, and it was in Daniel chapter 1 and Jan Daniel chapter 2, which I can kind of cliff notes. It's Daniel, this prophet, was one, he was incredible, but he, he was a prophet when Judah was taken captive um, to Babylon under, under Nebuchadnezzar and, and and it was a very a sad time, but he was a young guy. And Daniel chapter 1 literally starts about him and, and the guys that end up becoming known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But, but their, their Jewish names were Mishael and, and uh, Azariah and um, Hananiah. And, and so Daniel and these, these three guys are actually brought to serve in the king's court, the king of Babylon. But there's something simple that happens um, in Daniel chapter 1, and that's that um, all these people that were going to serve the king, it was kind of an honor, but they were, they were recruited and they were going to go through a three-year schooling. So kind of their own three-year disciple like the disciples had, but they were in all the ways and understanding of the Chaldeans and all of astrology, astronomy, all these different magical things, all, all the, the wisdom of the, the world superpower of Babylon of the time, but there was something they would, they had the best food and the best wine, the best drinks and whatever else. But Daniel and his three friends decided to refuse that food because they didn't want to defile themselves. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but he purposed in his heart, it says in Daniel 1.8, that he wouldn't defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. So he requested the chief of the eunuchs who was over all these people that were learning through this school that they could eat something different. And, um, you know, the eunuch was like, you know, this is, that's not the way this thing works. Long story short, Daniel and, uh, makes a deal with him, like, give us some time, test us for 10 days, and give us only vegetables and water to drink. And a lot of people call that the Daniel fast now. They like to do that sometimes. Um, but that's all they had was the vegetables and water. And then let our, ex let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as, as you see feet. Like, compare us to everybody else after 10 days, and then, then you can either allow us to, to continue to eat our own diet, or we can eat the diet of Babylon, you know, the, the delicacies really of Babylon. And so it's this beautiful thing. 
Um, at the end of the 10 days, their features were better and fatter in flesh than all the other people, all the other young men. And the steward took away the portion of the delicacies from them, the wine they were supposed to drink. And, but it says, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. It says in, in Daniel 1.20 that they became better than all the magicians and astrologers. There's your wise men who were in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of the king of, of Cyrus. And so you have this beautiful story of these guys who were captive in Babylon. And others, they, were, they were in the world, but they weren't of it. They weren't defiled by where they were. You know, they had a different diet. They had a different allegiance than everybody that was there. And because of that, they excelled above everybody that was there. You know, then you have Daniel chapter two, and uh, you can read it. I'll, I'll, the king gives this; he has this dream that really troubles him, and he gives this decree against all the magi, all the wise men, all the astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans, as it says, uh, that they are, they're all going to be put to death unless they can interpret his dream. And not only interpret his dream, they got to tell me what the dream was, and then give me its interpretation. And it's just like, no one can do that. And they literally came back to the king and said, nobody can do that except for the gods themselves. Like, this is an impossible thing. So when the guards get to, towards Daniel, who had great favor with them, he answered them wisely and said, whoa, what's going on? Go talk to the king and tell him, I need time with him and, and I'm going to interpret this. I'm going to interpret this dream. I'll tell him what the dream is. And so Daniel goes to his house and he makes the decision known to, to his three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you know, Zadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, is who they became. But he goes and he tells these guys like, yo, this, we're all getting put to death uh, if we can't ha re... We got to ha watch a review of this dream somehow and then we got to tell them about it. So, you know, the, as the story continues to go, they actually pray to the Lord and seek the Lord and the Lord gives it to him. He speaks to Daniel in a vision of the night, which is another, can be another term for a dream. Um, but either way, he actually gives it to him and Daniel actually goes before the king and he tells him, this was your actual dream, which it's not one of those easy ones to, you know, yeah, you were fallen, you know what I mean? You showed up to school naked. It was, it's not one of those, you know, it's a very lengthy involved concerning the future. Um, of, of all time and, and all these different things. And even the messianic, the, mess, the Messiah ended up showing up, you know, the kingdom that shall, shall, shall stand forever. You know, so here's Daniel starting to get, it's like you see him starting to get this person who's never, doesn't defile himself with these delicacies, with these comforts. Um, but he's starting to give these things in order, for, and now he's given him revelation to this king, but also there's more into it that he's getting the message as well. Because I think God was like, I want you to have this message more than I want the king to have it. You go interpret it for him, but you need to understand this, you know, which is really great. And um, so anyhow, um, he gives it to the king. And it says the king was so blown away by it. Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. That's what he says in Daniel 2.47. Daniel 2.48, it says that, that the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler, excuse me, of the whole, over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator of all the wise men of Babylon. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? And there's more, three, four, five, six, there's more stories of Daniel, and maybe we might do some of those in the new year. I'm not sure yet, but the reality of like, Daniel went from being trained to serve the king to being the captain of the chief of the magicians. The chief magician, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the prophet of the Lord, what's your title? Can you imagine saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm the chief wizard? 
at the White House. But I thought you were a Christian. Like, yeah, I, I am. That's just my tie. That's my job. You know, I'm over all the wizards and all the soothsayers that talk that talk to Joe Biden. You know, what I mean, it can just. But you know, here Daniel is this legacy of this ruler in these ancient in these in, in this ancient kingdom, several hundred years, six seven hundred years before Jesus was born. But chewing over the things of, of God and the Messiah coming and how he's going to come and what his kingdom is going to look like. And, and he's learned in all these different things, all these different things. If you see some of the intertestamental uh, writings of, you know, all the stuff that, you know, Genesis was probably altered during that time. Ec- uh, Enoch coming out, Jasher, all these different writings that were contradictions from the people of God, a polemic really of them taking these Babylonian religious witchcraft-filled um, histories and actually saying, no, the God of Israel is the God of the universe and actually trying to really set things right and writing the Bible, even as a polemic, even some of those old books. And, um, you know, you see Daniel like being one that was so in the middle of that system. Can you imagine, uh, you know, your, your spiritual devotion, uh, impacting the world around you so profoundly that people even hundreds of years after you are hip to recognize the Lord even before the religious elite you know and this is the heritage of Daniel and Shadrach Meshach and Medigo. that's the heritage of these guys and it's so brilliant because it's like here they are set up in this worldly system to use their giftings of God to influence people and to teach them things because you've got several hundred years ago, these magicians, these wizard boys coming, looking, wizard boys, that sounded Texas, didn't it? These wizard boys coming from the east, literally looking for the king of the Jews. It's like, you're not even, you don't even, I haven't seen you in the Sabbath. You know what I mean? But they were looking for something because it was, it was taught to them hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Amen. It's so inspirational to me. Yeah. And, I, you know, I had a teacher that was, um, her name was Gloria Metz. And, and um, she taught kind of, she taught high school, but also college. So you could take little AP courses in her class too. She was the strangest bird you've ever seen. She'd stick out in a place like this. And we're not all that normal, some of us, you know. She would stick out here. And, uh, you know, that was in a nice way I meant that. But she was uh, so out there. But she was known as being kind of a psychic lady. And I remember one day leaving her class. And she stopped me before I walked out the door, put her hand. She's like, Daniel. Dan is what they used to call me. Dan, I looked back. She's like, something's coming for you. She's like, something's coming for you. For bas- concerning basketball, something's coming for you. I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, all right. You know, and just kind of walked out. And, um, you know, I walked to my next class. It was, it was Miss uh, Cipolletti's class. It was a computer class. And I was sitting through Miss Cipolletti's computer class. And the phone rings inside the classroom, which you can't get a phone call in your classroom. We didn't have cell phones back then, for one. Uh, for two, but the, fo- the classroom phone rings, and Miss Cipolletti goes and answers it, and she kind of looks kind of puzzled, like, I'm, I'm kind of mad about this, but I'm going to let it happen. And she looks over at me. This is the class right after Miss Metz's class, and she goes, it's for you. And I'm like, it's for me, you know? So I went and got the phone, and it was my coach, Coach Gilruth. And, um, you know, and he was very very by the book type of person. So this is not even something he would normally do, call me in my class. Like he wouldn't normally do that. But he's like, hey Dan, I was like, what's going on? He's like, he's like, I just got a call. You just made the, the Central Florida All-Star team. 
like all the central Florida out of all, all the counties that surround Orlando and that central Florida area. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, I think coach was just so excited that it happened because we had like our county all-stars was our, the Brevard County or whatever, like most places do. But this was like a bigger one. This was like, I was in the Brevard County all-star game, but now I was going to be in the central Florida. So it was like a bunch of counties all in Florida. And um, I think he was just excited. So he called, cause it's not something even like his part, he would even do. He wouldn't break the rules like that normally. And um, he's very by the book, you know? And I was like, whoa. And then I sat down. And I, of course, I kind of looked at Miss Cipolletti like, oh, you're thinking like, sorry. You know, she looked ticked off. But I sat down and I thought like, man, old crazy Miss Metz just pointed me out and called me, <laughs> told me I was gonna, something's coming for me. And it's like, I walked to this class and got a phone call. It was the strangest thing. And, you know, but Miss Metz, she was, um, if you would talk to her, sometimes she would be, she'd be like, I'm not gonna be at school tomorrow. You know, she's really weird, y'all, like really weird. She's like, I gotta fly up to Georgia. I'm, I'm working a case. Like she, she would get hired by by police agencies to come and actually be at crime scenes, like a psychic on a crime scene or whatever. So she was like that. And um, you know, I don't, I don't value psychic. I don't. I believe. Yeah, I'm not. Like, what did you learn at church today? Well, you talked about like astrology and some psychic stuff and. <laughs> Yeah, it's Christmas break, so it's a little relax, you know. But and then it's some astronomy, though. Astrology? No, it's astrology, uh, you know. But um, anyways, looking back at Daniel, golly, back this thing up a little bit. Here he is, the the chief administrator of people. There's people with legitimate spiritual gifts that are given to them by God. Maybe they use them to make money. Maybe they use them to deceive people. Maybe they use them and they're connected to some things that are dark and evil, quite possibly. You know what I mean? But the giftings of God and, and people's, the creative ability that people have, it's going to find its expression. But we have come to the source of that expression. Amen. The love of God. The very Spirit of God. You know what I mean? And here is Daniel, to get back to the Bible, who's, who's the chief of all these magicians. And he's not teaching them how to you know, play the Ouija board, right? He's not teaching them how to deceive people. He's talking to them about astral prophecy. You know what I mean? About the Messiah's birth, about signs in the heavens. And his teachings are impacting people some five, six, seven hundred years later are coming and finding the Messiah. And it's this beautiful beautiful thing to me and it and when i look back at daniel it seems very similar to gabriel shutting the mouth of zacharias you know what i mean like what did you say oh so you want to talk like that yeah you're not going to be able to talk anymore for nine months um there's there's something to that daniel in his you know it's like what jesus said in matthew 15 it's not what goes into the man's mouth that defiles him it's actually what comes out of his mouth you know, blessing and cursing. It's, it's in the tongue. Life and death are in the tongue. And so here you have this story of these four Jewish guys who refuse to eat the delicacies, so to speak. And it, this story isn't for us about not eating fancy foods, fancy Babylonian foods, because it's not what goes into us that defiles us, it's what comes out of us. And it's like, here's these guys who were of an excellent spirit, who, who what, they, what they received within their mouth would not defile them. And I think this is such a prophetic picture for us of those who are called to point people to the Son, to the Lord, 
to be filled with the understanding of heaven, to be actually put in places of authority, in, even in the world's systems. But it's starting right there with the ones who are the carriers of God, like the, you know, the rivers of God flow from them. But fresh water and salt water or dirty water, they don't flow from the mouth of the same stream. And, you know, the things like, you know, James in James chapter 3, Jesus' you know, half-brother saying like, you know, talking about he who tames his tongue, he who's, not, who's not crooked in the things that he says, he is a full and complete man, a teleos. He's like, he's actually full. He's walking in the maturity of the sonship of what we're called to walk in. And we're called to walk in such a way, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to say we should try to get a job at a, at a palm reading station at all whatsoever. I hope that's not how this is <laughs> you know, going through because that's not, that's not the deal. Unless it was for the government, I think that would be wonderful if we walked in such a way that you know, sex trafficking and, 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 and smuggling and different things, it's like, man, if we got into the position of mindset that the gifts of the Spirit aren't just for us, they're for those people that we're called to liberate, I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a good goal for us to have as a house, you know, to where the, the, the cops actually come to us, the sheriffs come to us, the, the feds come to us. We're like, Is there, has the Lord showed you anything? Is he speaking anything to you guys? We're missing a child. We're missing, a, you know, we're, we're looking for something going on, you know. I think that's where it's going. But um, uh, how, do you, how do you, thinking out loud, how do you turn this back and land it as a Christmas message? You know, I'm not really sure you can. <laughs> I just, I don't know that it can happen. Not with my skill level. Um, but at the same time, there's something brilliant to being unlocked with the mind of God. And I, I fully and totally believe the open heaven is there for those whose tongue is tamed. Because we release heaven into our lives, death and life, or in the power of the tongue. And... And to make a covenant with our own mouth that we will let, like it says in Ephesians 4, we'll let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth, but only those things which build up and edify. We'll step into the authority of those who we're called to be. And we'll manifest the Lord from the inside of us. We will, we will, we will really nurture and connect and protect that connection that we have in Him and release that in the world. And then maybe uh, we'll sing joy to the world to kind of close it out. You know what I mean? Because that'll make it kind of Christmas. But that's, that's the message, I think. So, so, Lord, we thank you for the reality of the power that you've put on the inside of every single one of us as carriers of you and of your presence. We want to be those who are faithful to release nothing but the light and life of God. So that we're those who walk in the understanding of heaven, in the wisdom of heaven. That's maybe so contrary to that of the world, but unlocks people to see you um, as you truly are.